Hello everyone, welcome to Memento the Stoics. My name is Santiago and today I have a very interesting topic for you. This is based on an essay written by today's interview guest, uh, William O. Stephens, written on the similarities between Star Wars, Jedi philosophy, and Stoicism. William is a PhD philosophy professor that has written a lot on Stoicism, on different aspects of it. And this is one of these, uh, Jedi philosophy and Stoicism. So he's written on Marcus Aurelius Epictetus, and he has a very interesting perspective on all of these things. So I'm a big Star Wars fan, so when I found that there are similarities between the Jedi philosophy, the way that the Jedi see the world, and how the Stoics see the world, I, I was completely amazed. I, I love both of these things. It doesn't get any better than this, to be honest. Jedi and Stoics, so... I really hope you're as excited as me. I'm sorry for a bit of technical difficulties throughout this interview. The quality is not always ideal, but I think the content is great and I and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, Jedi philosophy and stoicism. Hope you enjoy it. I want William to introduce himself for a second and I just want to thank him for his time for being here. I think it will be a great interview. So hey, William, please introduce yourself. Thank you, Santi. Uh, I am Professor William Stevens. I'm Professor of Philosophy at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, in the United States of America. Perfect. And I want you to just tell us a bit of what is your relationship to Stoicism? How did you come across it? And why is it important for you? Yeah, so I went to graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania from 1984 to 1990. And when I went off to Penn, um, the professor that I wanted to study with was Charles Kahn, mm -hmm. who was uh, an expert in all of ancient Greek philosophy. And early on in my discussions with Charles Kahn about topics that I was interested in studying for my dissertation. Um, um, and I had a particular interest in Socrates' views in those early dialogues, especially the Apology and the Crito, my dissertation on the Stoic Epictetus. And I've been studying Epictetus and Stoicism since then. That would have been 1985, 1986, when I first started studying Stoicism. I hadn't really studied Stoicism very much as an undergraduate, mm -hmm. but when I was at Penn in 85-86, I, I decided that uh, instead of writing my dissertation on Nietzsche, which I also toyed with as an idea for a while, um, I decided to write on Epictetus. And I haven't looked back since then. I'm still writing about Stoicism right. and Epictetus. Yeah, awesome. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to ask you, like, why do you think Stoicism is so important nowadays and in general in your life? Why is it important? Well, I mean, as, as, as some have said, uh, the ancient Hellenistic philosophies, including Stoicism, are very much, were from the beginning, very much about how to live your life right. under any circumstances, at any place, any time, any country, any walk of life. Epictetus, of course, was born a slave. Seneca was a very, very wealthy uh, advisor mm -hmm. to the Emperor Nero. Right. So he was a very, you know, literate, uh, you know, man of letters and uh, politically influential. And then, of course, you've got Marcus Aurelius, who became co-emperor first, sharing with his adopted brother and then sole emperor of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. 
So stoicism speaks to anyone of any social class, anyone who has to deal with hardships, turmoil in one's life, whether it's from one's personal challenges, medical problems, um, difficulties uh, with one's family, you know, any any sources of frustration or setback or disappointment that one faces, Stoicism provides tools for coping with those setbacks. Right. Yeah, and that's precisely why I think it's so interesting and the way that it, it evolves into anything or everything. Like, I found it really interesting when I came across your essay relating Star Wars with Stoicism because it really is everywhere. So I wanted to ask you, like, uh, how is it that we find Stoicism in popular fiction such as in Star Wars? Yeah, well, since Stoicism was very influential in ancient Greece and Rome, including down to the American transcendentalists and pragmatists like Emerson and Walt Whitman, it's got a perennial power to speak to the human condition, and that percolates into popular culture. Right. And so, you know, in, in English, we have the adjective stoic with a small s, mm -hmm. which means keeping a firm upper lip and setting your jaw and gritting your teeth right. and enduring hardships without crying, <laughs> right. which is, you know, one thin slice of what stoicism sort of is about, yeah. but is not completely removed from at least one aspect of Stoic philosophy. And so in the case of the Star Wars movies, mm -hmm. certainly the, the first three that came out, which later became episodes four, five, and six, right. um, I was struck when I first saw these movies by the Jedi Master Yoda. Sorry, when Yoda is mm -hmm. uh, encountering Luke, and Luke is finally... Slowly, it's slowly dawning upon him that this strange little quirky elfin character is not some sort of idiot, but is actually just the guy he's looking for. Is a is a Yoda is a Jedi Master. You know, it, it it blows Luke away because Yoda tells him, "Look, the Force is about living in harmony with." the universe right so the stoic idea of living in agreement with nature becomes for the jedi philosopher or the jedi knight i guess i should say mm -hmm. um, living in agreement with the force and the force pervades all physical objects and binds them and ties them together and that's kind of how the Stoics understood the cosmic logos. Right. Um, it's Yoda's Jedi ethics that just screams Stoic thinking. So Yoda tells Luke that fear is the path to the dark side. Mm -hmm. Fear leads to anger, leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Right. And this is not a new idea. <laughs> Jedi philosophy 
is appropriated from the ancient Stoics. Right. Because the Stoics believe that fear is one of the worst passions that there is. Right. And probably the worst passion that there is, is anger. <laughs> right. No, yeah, I love it. Like the similarities are, are amazing. And I really, I would like you to expand a little bit on like, we don't decide what role we play, like considering like life being some form of play, like a theater play, but we don't choose um, the role we play, but we can choose to be the best we can within that role. So I think that's similar to living according to our own nature and doing the best we can within what's in our control. So yeah, how, how would you expand uh, on that? It's a little more complicated than that, right? Because uh, Epictetus is going to say some of our roles are chosen for us. Right. So we have some natural roles that we're born into. We're not. We don't choose to be born male or female. Mm -hmm. We don't choose which parents we have, and we don't choose which siblings we have, or whether we're an only child. So those are our natural roles that we're born into. But some of our roles are chosen. Right. We do get to choose where to live. We can choose to move away from our hometown and live elsewhere. We can choose what kind of education we want to get and where we want to study. That is, if we have the financial means to do so. Right. And we can choose what activities to engage in, what jobs to undertake. And also, we, of course, choose all of our friends. So our, our role as a friend is something that Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Epictetus says some of our some of our roles are thrust upon us, but others we do get to choose. Right. And so, taking into account our own individual nature as rational beings and social beings with certain talents and capabilities and other weaknesses, these should inform how we live and the kinds of projects and tasks we undertake. Right. No, exactly. And that's, um, yeah, like very similar to the dichotomy of control, how some things are within our control and some are not. But we like a lot of things that are within ourselves, we do control, like you say, like it's not just like uh, if fate, like uh, fate was the one that controls everything. So would you like to expand a bit on what is the stoic approach to fate and how is it similar to the Jedi approach to fate? control fate, but we do control how we respond to what happens. So um, Stoicism teaches us not to try to impose our will on things beyond our control, but rather respond to everything that occurs around us rationally and virtuously. And that's up to us. So with With the Jedi philosophy, the notion of the Force pervading all events, um, the, the Jedi apparently believe that they can, they can see into the future sometime. There is an interesting kind of parallel with Stoicism that comes with divination. Mm -hmm. The Stoics, at least Epictetus and others, believe that it would, was possible to anticipate future events because of the interconnection of all philosophies in the universe. So, insofar as the Stoics believed in divination 
Yeah. And fortune telling mm-hmm. that seems to have a parallel with the Jedi philosophy that Jedi knights were really Jedi masters can sometimes see in the future. Right, and that's very interesting because, yeah, I mean, definitely in the Jedi's, like in Star Wars, they have a bit more of a mystical power. There's such thing as a Force ghost, and it's it's a bit different. Like uh, Yoda can see the future, and he says sometimes it's clouded by the dark side, which is really great. But how how does it relate to the Stoic way of, for example, negative visualization, which is like the premeditation of evils to foresee bad things coming, so we're more prepared now. How is it similar to the way that Yoda looks into the future, maybe? Yeah. I mean, as you say, there are times when Yoda will say, oh, I'm looking at the future, but it's clouded, it's not clear right. you know, what's going to happen. Uh, the Stoic take on that is, uh, at least the non-mystical Stoic view, mm-hmm. is that you need to be prepared for anything that could happen. Human beings get injured, human beings sometimes behave badly, human beings are all mortal and therefore are going to die, human beings are going to need to go on trips, human beings are going to say things often without thinking carefully before they speak, and so you should anticipate all of those things so that you're not surprised when a hurricane like Florence is happening now, right, heading for the Carolinas, and in the United States, mm-hmm. right? We know that hurricanes happen this time of the year. Right. And so you can be prepared for any natural events. So if you anticipate all the so-called bad things mm-hmm. that could happen in life, then emotionally you'll have equanimity. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to stay calm and cope with what actually does happen. Right. So this sort of anticipation of the future throwing you curveballs and challenges allows you to prepare yourself to deal with those challenges ultimately and virtuously. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's similar to what Marcus says. Like uh, He always repeats that in the morning he, he reminds himself that today he will find himself with like the insolent ill will, like bad people of all kinds, and that's due to their ignorance of what's good or evil. So, like you say, it's very similar to foreseeing the things that we call evil and knowing that those things are part of the world. It's kind of like this balance that that even Yoda talks about as in, you know, like the balance between the light and the dark. There needs to be dark for there to be light. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the light side and the dark side? Like how is it similar to the stoic approach of evil and good? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think I'm inclined to say that the Jedi notion of the side of the dark side of the Force doesn't square very well with the Stoic outlook. It would be tempting to think of light side of the Force as the good Jedi knights who were all possessed of virtue and the Sith Lords who were masters of the dark side of the Force as just evil and vicious and bad. But that really kind of oversimplifies things because even the Sith have an understanding of the Force. They simply use the Force to intimidate and terrorize people. And they use their telekinetic powers to 
intimidate and dominate and cause pain and fear, puts fear on others, knowing that fear motivates behavior and controls someone by making them fear you. Um, for the Stoics, there isn't, as you were suggesting, comments about Marcus Aurelius, mm -hmm. no one is intentionally evil on the Stoic view. Right. No, it's, it's great because it's, it's this thing, like you, you were saying in one of your essays, like uh, it's kind of this compassion and understanding that people aren't inherently evil, like they're not trying to be evil. It's just that they don't know the truth. And that's what the Stoics always remind us of. And that that also like segues to how the emperor kind of has a similar, I mean, it, he certainly has some form of wisdom, but is not what the Stoics, are, the Stoics are looking for because he's not compassionate and he he abuses uh, his control over others trying to impose that power. So that's that's what I like about Stoicism. It's a very um, understanding philosophy that people aren't inherently bad. And that's 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 a great way to see how the light side and the dark side are, are different. And yeah, I wanted to ask you like um, this whole thing. Well, can yeah, of course, of course. Go, go. Yes, so, so, and notice that the emperor and the Sith Lords, they recognize that they need students, right? There's really? the master and there's the student. So they're trying to pass on their knowledge and expertise with the dark side to their younger students. Right. Well, Anakin becomes the student of Palpatine uh, or what, Darth... Uh, what Sidious, I guess. Third Sidious. Yes. So he, so so even with the Sith Lord, even with the Sith, they recognize you need a teacher and a student in order to pass on your knowledge. And it's the same with the the, the Jedi, right? They have mm -hmm. masters and students. Masters passing on Yoda, passing on his knowledge to Luke. Right. And Obi Wan trying to pass on his knowledge to uh, to Anakin Skywalker. So you have that kind of parallel of, you know, knowledge needs to be shared and passed on. But, yeah. uh, you know, what, what you do with your knowledge, knowledge can be used for good or evil. Yeah. And so in the, in the Star Wars universe, you're either on the, the light side and the dark side. There's no kind of neutrality. No, yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it reminds me like of this quote of Epictetus, like, you can learn what you think you already know. It's kind of this this humility and understanding that we still have a lot to learn. And Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, they both talk about having someone they look up to, even Epictetus with Socrates, if I'm right, right? Like he worships, I mean, he admires him. Right, absolutely. Socrates is Epictetus' role model. Right. Seneca recognizes Socrates as a role model. He, he takes lessons from Epicurus, who's not even a Stoic. Right. And Cato. And so he has his role models. Yeah, this is this is a very uh, popular pattern in ancient thought, right? You learn from the wise sages who came before you. Yeah, it's great. And and how like uh, in times of Stoicism there was Epicureanism, of course, as you mentioned. And I saw that. Uh, I mean, you also mentioned how there's a bit of that in Star Wars, and I I, I didn't notice that at all. And how Han Solo, maybe he's a bit more of an Epicurean. Like he cares about himself. He's a bit more about pleasure and, and living his life in accordance to what he wants to do. Like, 
How, what do you think of Han Solo? How can you explain his position? Well, he's more of a loner at first than an Epicurean. Right. But I actually think not so much that he's a hedonist, but he does share in common with the Epicureans their emphasis on friendship. Right. Because what matters to Han, once he gets to know you, once he becomes your friend, he... He doesn't think in terms of grander causes like the Rebel Alliance and making the universe a better place, right? Mm -hmm. But he does risk his life for his friends. And so he risks his life for Luke and for Leia, certainly for Chewbacca, who's his his oldest friend in the world. Mm -hmm. But once he makes a friend, he's a loyal friend. And in that respect, is very Epicurean. Because Epicurus emphasizes how friendship is one of the greatest joys in life. <laughs> That's super interesting because Seneca, like he talks frequently about Epicurus, and it's kind of like this understanding that good knowledge can come from different places. It's not who says it, but what is said. Like one should analyze what is the wisdom behind the person who's saying it and look beyond that. So that's really interesting, exactly. right? And then, and then uh, I wanted to say one of the one of the Yoda quotes just to kind of segue like into this idea of memento mori like Yoda says you must not fear death you must use the force only in defense never for aggression this is there is always a better wiser way what do you think of the uh, Jedi approach to to death like memento mori for the Stoics yeah so you know that that's that's a powerful message right that that a Jedi never uses the force to attack or to be aggressive, but to protect and to defend. I kind of wonder how that works for Marcus Aurelius when he's on campaign leading his soldiers and and the Roman right. and his Roman troops against the so-called barbarians who were invading along the borders of the Roman Empire. Um, Marcus doesn't really tell us much about that in the meditations, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, death. Death is another point of disagreement, I think, between the Jedi outlook and Stoicism, because the Stoics were physicalists. They believed that since the body is physical and the body causally interacts with the mind or the soul, mm-hmm. then the mind or the soul would have to be physical too. So the Stoics do not believe that the soul survives the death of the body. Um, whereas for the Jedi, they have this notion of non-physical, luminescent souls. So they're visible, but they're not physical. And they look like the bright body of the Jedi in the Jedi's prime before the Jedi's body died. Right. And Obi-Wan, his disembodied, luminescent soul, talks to Luke, and Yoda talks to Luke after his body dies, and Anakin Skywalker gets to see his luminescent soul when he was a young man mm-hmm. before his horrible main accident in the burning hot lava. Um, this, this is all little physical nonsense from a stoic right. perspective. Right. There are no physical souls. 
So the Stoics reject that kind of weird platonic metaphysical mysticism about souls sort of being non-physical or only thinly physical and surviving the death of bodies. Um, but in terms of thinking about death, yeah, I mean, Buddha teaches that death is part of life, and so it's not to be feared. It's to be, you know, it's to be remembered. It, you, you need to remind yourself that living things die. Okay. Life comes from death, and death is the, is the inevitable end of life. So you can't have life without death or death without life. So you have this kind of cosmic balance. That part of Jedi teaching is consistent with Stoic thought. No, that, that, that's great. It's kind of like maybe there's a bit of a, a differentiation there between Stoicism and and Jedi's, like you say, like a bit more mystical for the for the Jedi's, of course. But this this kind of understanding that is a is a part of life is something that I think, like yeah, Yoda definitely has, and and the Stoics always remind us to to think about that as as to put things in perspective. So I think I think that's great, and. Then I wanted to ask you about this this other one that I think it's I mean it's a, it's a Yoda quote that I think is very related to how the Stoics see things and it's uh, quote train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. What do you think about that one? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Very Stoic, right? Right. I mean that's the sort of thing that Epictetus and Seneca reverse and, and you know write about. Um, you know, I think of the quotation in Epictetus's handbook that you're you're like a uh, passenger on a ship and mm -hmm. the ship puts into port and you're on an island and if you're wandering around on the beach and you find a vegetable uh, or a shellfish and you're hungry you collect these things uh, but if the captain of the ship calls for you to return to the ship you have to give up those things right away let them go and hurry back to the ship And so in the book, this is his metaphor for um, finding a spouse and having a child. Mm -hmm. If you're fortunate enough and nature gives you a spouse and you have a child with your spouse, you have to remember that they're mortal and you can't take them with you when you die. Right. So, yeah, the attachment, possessions, is very inappropriate. Everything says you should live like a traveler in an inn, right? You're renting a room for a night or two nights, three nights, mm -hmm. but you can't take the towels home with you. You can't take the mattress from the bed home with you. It's not mm -hmm. yours to keep. It's just on loan to you. Mm -hmm. And so all the things that come our way in life, all these material possessions are on loan to us used temporarily, but they don't belong to us permanently. And that includes other people. Right. The other people that we're blessed with in our life make our glass more than half full. But we should not assume that they will always be there. And mm -hmm. so we have to be willing to let them go when they leave. Whether they leave on a trip or they leave and life permanently by dying, we have to realize that we don't own a People, but we should cultivate good relationships with them as long as we have the benefit of their company. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. It's, it's this idea of understanding that 
we don't know, neither like possessions, we definitely don't own. Like they're just alone. But with people, it's a bit more complicated because there's a bit of a, a sentimental attachment that it's hard to let go of. And maybe that's that's exactly why Anakin fails because he gets so attached to, to try to stop death that he he gets seduced by the dark side as as it happens in in Star Wars. But it, it's it's yeah, it's his love. Yeah, it's his, his love for Padme is right. very unstark and very un Jedi. Yeah, yeah. His that's... whole relationship with her is poorly conducted, right? Because mm-hmm. he falls in love with her, which is fine. But having fallen in love with her, it then interferes with him fulfilling his duties as a Jedi Knight in training. Right. And then he he and she then disguise their relationship, right? They hide their very in secrecy, as if. Because they know that they they shouldn't be getting married, that their friends Obi Wan and others, mm-hmm. you know, if they knew they were getting married, they would be concerned that this was maybe not a good idea. And so they marry in secrecy. Well, you only hide something if you are embarrassed by what you're doing. <laughs> right. right? Epictetus says you should always act as if God is watching you, and then you'll never do anything you're ashamed of. But Anakin and Padme decide to get married in secret, and then their problems just snowball from there. So Anakin does not handle his relationship with Padme in a very virtuous or reasonable way at all. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like this this idea of like if if we were being watched, would we be proud of our actions? Like if someone was watching. It's maybe more about this whole duty, like the duty that Marcus talks about. That's maybe what the Jedi really focus on, right? Yes, yes. So for the Jedi, uh, recognizing your responsibilities is very important. And it's selfish to put your own desires and preferences above what your responsibilities to others are. And that's exactly what Anakin does, right? right? He makes his relationship with Padme the most important thing. And he's ambitious, and he wants to become a Jedi Master, and he's not humble, he's arrogant, and he's not patient, he's impatient. Um, and, and as you were suggesting before, he completely botches how to think about Padme's mortality. Right? right? He does not remind himself, as Epictetus tells us we should, when we kiss our spouse goodnight or we kiss our child goodnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Epictetus advises us to remind us that you're mortal and you might die tomorrow. Right. Find ourselves. You don't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and instead of that, Anakin is seduced by the false promises of the of the Sith Emperor that maybe if he learns even more of the dark side, he will be able to conquer death and he can make his loved one immortal, which is utterly foolish. Mm-hmm. Although, again, in the Star Wars universe, maybe Jedi are immortal if they're masters. <laughs> they're immortal in a way. But Padme was never a Jedi, and so Padme could never be mortal, I guess. <laughs> and for him to want Padme to 
live forever and escape death permanently is utterly foolish. Right. And that's, that false belief leads to his downfall, and then he sides with the emperor against uh, Mace Windu, right? And he chops Mace Windu's arm off and kills him. Big, big mistake. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy, like... Uh, even like becoming Darth Vader, like Anakin is already burning. He has one arm, and I think it's a robotic one. He he's he's completely about to die, and it's kind of this denial of death. Like the the Emperor allows him to to take this kind of robotic um, uh, body that is Darth Vader, and he stops being what he was. Like what what is that for the Stoics? Like to to I don't know to abandon kind of like your mortality. In a sense, because he's still immortal, but how, how do you see that? Like the becoming of Darth Vader? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Anakin, it, when he sides with the Emperor in the duel that the Emperor has against Master Windu, and he decides to kill Windu, he recognizes immediately that he's made a horrible mistake. Right. And it's precisely that point that the school thing for him to do would have been to suicide right then and there right so he should never have allowed himself he should never have you know allowed the emperor to to teach him as soon as he makes that mistake he's failed the fool and he should die but he doesn't so he should have let you know the emperor i guess I mean, be killed. I don't know. What would the Jedi say? He should neither have killed Master Windu, nor should he have let Master Windu kill the Emperor. Right. But it's hard to to save both of their lives because they were determined to kill each other. Mm-hmm. But he shouldn't have killed either one. He should have just let the duel play out. Right. Another opportunity to die was when Obi-Wan cut his legs off his arm off and he was burning from the lava and getting harmed. It was unfortunate that he survived that as you were saying it's only because the Emperor sent the medics to what was left of his body you know at, at mechanical legs and the mechanical arm and put him on life support Converting him into Darth Vader, I mean, he should not have allowed that to happen. Right. Right? So, but then you wouldn't have had the whole story, right? <laughs> then you wouldn't have had the whole long arc where he's finally redeemed by Luke when he picks up the evil emperor once he's an old, old man and Luke's love brings him back around to the, to the light side of the force and then he sacrifices himself to save Luke by killing the emperor then he's on the good side again. You can change your name and your title and start wearing a black cloak <laughs> and a black helmet and, you know, have James Earl jo- Jones do your voiceover. <laughs> but he's still Anakin Skywalker, even if you want to call him Darth Vader. Right. And he made a horrible mistake. So I don't know, maybe the Stoic lesson is we're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we'll make really big ones. But as long as we don't give up and we continue to try to learn from our mistakes, maybe we can still make progress towards virtue in the end. So that would be the more hopeful way 
to offer a stoic interpretation of the story of Anakin Skywalker. Right. Yeah, it's kind of this redemption story. Like, uh, of course, it's for the sake of the story that he he decides to adapt becoming Darth Vader because the stoic thing to do would be to sacrifice himself or like to let go of the life because he was living unvirtuously. Um, and and yeah, I was I was reading your essay and seeing how you see Yoda as the sage, a stoic sage, right? Like Yoda would definitely yes, stop yes. living there, right? Yoda Yoda has complete Stoic understanding right. of, of virtue and vice and the balance between life and death, the, the light side of the force and the dark side, and, and the most fundamental message that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate and aggression, and hate and aggression leads to suffering. And so you've got to banish fear and anger from your life, from yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and accept accept people for who they are. Don't criticize other people, but work on improving yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those those lessons that Yoda imparts make him seem very sage like to me. Right, that's great. Uh, just just a bit of, of a question there. Like uh, growing up, like was it like um, rewatching the film when you were a bit older that you realized like wow, there's so much stoicism here? Or was it more like, while well, studying feel, um, a stoicism, you realize that Star Wars was in there? Oh, well, both, I guess. Right. I mean, I was a fan of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> um, they were so well done, uh, especially The Empire Strikes Back. That's, right. that's, I view that's by far the best of all the Star Wars movies that have been made. <laughs> um, and, and it's largely because of the relationship between Luke and Yoda right. is just very wonderfully done in The Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, when I when I was watching those movies again, having read Stoicism, it struck me how very stoic Yoda was and how very stoic many aspects of the Jedi philosophy were. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a Star Wars fan and a fan of Stoicism, um, I had a great deal of fun writing that essay. Right. I wanted to ask you, this is kind of like a bit more of a fiction um, question, Like, but if, I don't know, pick a stoic, let's say Marcus Aurelius, if he were to have a conversation with Yoda, what would you think that would be like? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be an interesting thought experiment. Um, yeah, Marcus Aurelius and Yoda. Um <laughs> think about it think about it what what do you think they'll discuss about what would marcus say i mean uh marcus in the meditations expresses his you get the sense of the burden i do when i read marcus the the great responsibility that marcus feels right. to all of the citizens that he's ruling to, to rule as justly and wisely and benevolently as possibly can. Right. Yoda doesn't have those kinds of responsibilities, right? Yoda is not an emperor. Um, I think I think it'd be easier to imagine a conversation between Emperor Marcus Aurelius and the evil Emperor Palpatine. Wow. <laughs> right? Because Marcus could tell Palpatine what his responsibilities and duties are as an emperor. Right. 
and and try to set him straight, right? <laughs> right. Yoda, Yoda, no emperor. He's he's kind of apolitical. He is on the general council, so he's more like a senator, right? <laughs> but Marcus Aurelius, you know, as an emperor, he, the Senate no longer existed, right? right. The days of the Roman Senate were long over by the time Marcus went ascended the throne. So, um, yeah. I, <laughs> no, that's that's a great response. I think we have to put just Marcus Aurelius in Star Wars, and everything would be solved right away. Yeah, that'd be a fun dialogue to write, though—a dialogue between Yoda and Marcus. <laughs> right. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, thank you, thank you for this. I have one one final question, just kind of kind of similar for you. Um, so. If you had the chance to have a conversation with one of the ancient Stoics, who would it be and what would you ask? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I guess it would have to be Seneca. Hmm. Um, because I think Seneca is really the most, uh, at least for the surviving text that we've got. We have a lot more Seneca than we have Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius and Vistonius Rufus combined, right? right? Mm-hmm. So Seneca's corpus is very large. He's a very sophisticated philosopher, a very subtle thinker, probably the sharpest mind of, of all four of the major Stoics. Right. So I would want to ask Seneca about his views, his real views about wealth. Right. Because Seneca was a hugely, hugely wealthy man. <laughs> He has an incredible fortune, and he writes about his wealth and how he doesn't need it and how he sometimes austerely, even though he's got his wealth. But for me, it kind of rings as kind of someone who's insincere. Mm. That's something that's kind of troubled me about Seneca is uh, – what he says about wealth and how he actually handled his life regarding wealth right. didn't, square, didn't seem to square very accurately. Yeah. So I would either want to ask Seneca that or I want to ask Epictetus whether he really thinks that milk is evident that the universe is providential. Right. Because Epictetus argues that there are some animals who are by nature intended to be used as food. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think human food that is. And I just think that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. And says, you know, there's signs of divine providence because you can get milk from sheep and make cheese from milk. And therefore the universe is providentially organized. <laughs> I find that argument quite implausible. <laughs> That's right. But given Epictetus's philosophy, he thinks it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, there are inconsistencies, and I've been thinking about the Seneca part too. Like he seems to be inconsistent with what he teaches about wealth and not attaching to things, and then he seems to be the most wealthy man around, and and this kind of stuff. But I think he he's pretty stoic. I think he he demonstrates. That before, like in his in the time of his death, I think he lets go of things fairly easy, and I still admire him even though I've had the same 
conflict with with him about wealth. So that's very interesting. Yes, yes exactly. He is very admirable, and he did manage suicide, uh, you know, appropriately by stoic principles. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he, he he is an admirable guy. I just I, I I just I just wonder what he would say about right. his wealth. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'd be interesting. Okay, uh, William, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate all the everything that you put into this interview. Uh, thank you so much. It's great knowledge. And I want to ask you, like, how can people find your work? Uh, what What are the books? I, I know that you're working on a neutralization for Epictetus. Like, tell me more about like uh, where people can find your work. Uh, my website is williamostevens.com. Okay. And Stevens is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. I tell my students they can always remember how to spell my name because just as there's no V in philosopher, <laughs> there's also no V in Stevens. <laughs> That's perfect. It's a PH. <laughs> so yeah, my uh, my my Vita and my papers uh, uh, you can you can see listed, and uh, I can be emailed. Uh, through my website, williamostevens.com. And my email address is williamostevens at gmail.com. Perfect. Okay. Um, perfect. Uh, William, any, any messages for people who are trying to start on Stoicism? Any advice? Read the, read the classics. Right. Read the Seneca, read Epictetus. There's a new English translation, been out for a couple of years, of Musonius Rufus. That's interesting to read. Mm-hmm. And of course, Marcus Aurelius is terrific. And uh, start with the primary sources, and and then if you're if uh, anyone new to Stoicism is struggling to interpret those, there are lots and lots of good books written on Seneca and Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. I have a book on Marcus Aurelius. I have a book on Epictetus. I'm working on my finishing my second book on Epictetus. So yeah, anyone who wants some suggestions of topics to read, they can go to my website, see what I've written, and if they have any questions, they can email me and I'll give them suggestions. Perfect, perfect. Okay, William, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. So that was the interview. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank William again for his time being part of this show. I want to apologize again for the quality not being ideal due to connection issues, but I really hope you get to enjoy the content anyway. And again, I'm really passionate about this uh, topic, like seeing Star Wars Jedi philosophy being compared to Stoicism. It was such an amazing topic to learn more about. So if you want to learn more about that, I really suggest you read William's essays on it. I'll leave those in the show notes as well as his website and books. So check those out. Don't doubt on giving me any feedback or message me with any questions or anything at mementothestoics at gmail.com. And I want to thank you for your time for listening to this podcast. So thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Memento the Stoics. Bye.